0: Welcome to the Good News Ride Home for Monday, July 27th, 2020. I'm Jackson Bird. A look at a promising handheld robotic mobility aid for vision impaired people. How people kept cool or, like, you know, stayed alive during heat waves before air conditioning, as well as the year that the world skipped summer. How Animal Crossing helped return a lost Nintendo Switch to its owner and the latest way that sports leagues are filling their empty stadiums. Here are some of the cool things from the news today. The heat of summer is well and truly here in the northern hemisphere, the hot, humid days just won't let up, and living in New York City, I continue to be frustrated that central air conditioning is not as ubiquitous in homes and businesses as it is in most parts of the southern United States where I grew up. And of course, it's always been substantially hotter in those southern states, although with climate change, the northeast is heating up more and more. But that does make me think sometimes, how the heck did people survive before air conditioning, especially in those very hot climates? Farmer's Almanac offers a few insights, nothing too mind-blowing. People would take day trips to swimming holes or up mountains to cooler weather. They kept windows and doors shut at midday to keep out hot air and delayed cooking or baking until the evening. They ate refreshing, cool treats, and once it was available in homes, blew fans across blocks of ice. The biggest factor, most likely, however, was it simply wasn't as hot then as it is now, at least in terms of extremes, quoting Farmer's Almanac. The extraordinarily hot summers that are commonplace today were virtually unheard of 50 to 100 years ago. In fact, seven of the top ten coolest U.S. summers on record occurred between 1900 and 1950, end quote. There was one year, however, over two centuries ago now, that it was a lot cooler. 1816, aka the year without a summer. Quoting Farmer's Almanac, Referred to by many names, including The Poverty Year and 1800 and Froze to Death, the year 1816 was literally a year without a summer across much of the Northern Hemisphere. Throughout not only North America, but also Northern Europe and parts of Asia, an exceptionally cold summer featuring killing frosts in July and August crippled food production. Crop failures and food shortages were so widespread that rioting and looting became common in the United Kingdom and France. On this side of the Atlantic, many residents of New England and the Canadian Maritimes froze to death, starved, or suffered from severe malnutrition as storms, bringing a foot or more of snow, hit hard during May and June. Many others from the region pulled up their stakes and moved to western New York and the Midwest, where the cold was less severe. In fact, the year without a summer is now believed to have been one major catalyst in the westward expansion of the United States." The cold may have been less severe in the southern and western U.S., but it was still highly unusual. On July 4th, 1816, it was 46 degrees Fahrenheit in Savannah, Georgia. For the record, this year on July 4th in Savannah, it was 90 degrees. So why did this happen? It was due to one of the largest volcanic eruptions in recorded history, Indonesia's Mount Tambora. The volcano erupted on April 5th, 1815, continuing to erupt for a week and killing nearly all of the 12,000 residents of Tambora, as well as almost all plant and animal life on the island. Quoting the Paris Review, Countless tons of volcanic ash circulated in the upper atmosphere for years after the event, blocking out sunlight and lowering average surface temperatures globally. In parts of North America and Europe, temperatures dropped by more than 18 degrees Fahrenheit. There was snow in New England in July, and dark rain clouds swept over Europe throughout the summer months. In Hungary, there were reports of brown snowfall tainted by volcanic ash, quote. Understandably, many thought the world was ending, that the sun was dying. What gets really fascinating, though, is some of the cultural ripples that this massive event caused. You may be familiar with the story of how Mary Wollstonecraft Shelley was inspired to write Frankenstein as part of a spooky storytelling challenge when she, Percy Shelley, and Lord Byron and friends were holed up in a villa in Geneva one stormy summer. Turns out it was this dark, thunderous, apocalyptic summer of 1816. The crew had gone to Geneva both to ride out the unusually rainy summer, but also to escape their various dramas in England. Being stuck indoors for so much of their trip, Lord Byron challenged them all to write ghost stories to entertain one another. Mary Shelley wrote Frankenstein, which would set the stage for all of science fiction to come. Also among the Geneva Villa guests was Lord Byron's personal physician, Dr. John Polidori, who wrote a short story for the challenge called The Vampire, and this story is often credited with the birth of the modern vampire romance. But those genre-defining publications aren't the only cultural institutions to come out of the summerless year of 1816. Among the many shortages across Europe was a crucial shortage of oats, which led to the starvation and deaths of countless humans and livestock, including at least 10,000 horses, not counting how many were also slaughtered to save money or become dinner. German Baron Karl Dreyfus, an inventor and student of mathematics, started trying to design a man-powered form of transportation. While historians agree that he was inspired by the weather-based oat shortage, he also saw a need for an alternative to horses as crucial for war. Quoting the Paris Review, his first designs for human-powered transportation involved complex, conveyor-belt-driven, four-wheel vehicles. But Dreyas' breakthrough came when he turned his thoughts to balance. Drawing on his experiences skating on icy ponds, Dreyas put his faith in the power's of momentum and front-wheel steering to keep a two-wheel vehicle upright. This idea became his Luff machine, or running machine, end quote. And this running machine would become the modern-day bicycle all of this makes me think about how many things will change or be invented from this moment that we're living through you know of course there's a lot of things we're already seeing and we're likely to continue to see some big cultural shifts but like who out there is writing the next genre defining novel that people will still be reading two centuries later who's inventing something that will be innovated on for decades before becoming a ubiquitous and ordinary mode of transportation I mean, maybe it won't be those types of things specifically, but there are surely ideas happening and things being created that we won't realize the impact of for decades to come. Police in Taiwan were successfully able to return a lost Nintendo Switch to its owner by playing Animal Crossing New Horizons. The owner had placed the switch on top of an ATM while he got money out of it and forgot to take it with him when he left. Passersby handed it over to the police, which honestly might be the true miracle of this story. I mean, how many people find an abandoned switch and actually go through the work of handing it over instead of keeping it for themselves or trying to hock it? But anyways, if you are one of the seemingly very few people on Earth like me who has not been playing Animal Crossing throughout the pandemic, an important thing to know is that in the game, you have a kind of avatar of yourself, and you can befriend both strangers and your real-life friends, and together you can do things like visiting each other's islands and also sending each other mail through a virtual post office. Being amongst the majority of people who do play Animal Crossing, the Taipei police used the lost Switch owner's account to send a message to all of his friends in the game and all of the people who had recently visited his island. A few friends saw the message from the police, and the man was able to get his device back safe and sound. So if you do find an abandoned Switch at some point and you want to be a good Samaritan instead of just keeping it for yourself, here's a great tip. Just cut out the middleman and play whatever game is on it and message all of the user's friends. Fun, creative, and apparently super effective. Yesterday marked 30 years since the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act, a landmark civil rights law that prohibits discrimination against the disabled and requires employers and public spaces to make reasonable accommodations for accessibility. There is still a ton of work that needs to be done towards accessibility and inclusivity, but I thought in honor of the anniversary, I would highlight one cool, potentially upcoming advancement for the vision impaired. It is a robotic mobility device that functions similarly to guide dogs. While guide dogs and other types of service dogs can be of an enormous help and comfort to many, for others they aren't an option, maybe due to allergies, living space, cost, or other constraints. This new handheld robotic device aims to provide an alternative for some of those challenges, including even the cost, which will be about 10% the cost of a guide dog. Quoting New Atlas, The device is called Thea, and it was conceived by industrial design student Anthony Camus, who drew inspiration from virtual reality gaming consoles and autonomous vehicles. The technology is currently in prototype form with a few kinks to be ironed out but the basic premise is that thea acts as a robotic guide dog to help visually impaired users navigate to their destination key to this is what's known as a control moment gyroscope which often features as part of spacecraft attitude control systems including that used on the international space station this enables thea to provide force feedback depending on where it's headed and move the user's hand as a way of leading them to a desired direction much like a guide dog's brace Thea would find its way through a LiDAR and camera system that enables it to build a three-dimensional image of the environment, much like a self-driving car. Users can enter their destination through voice commands, and onboard processors will determine the best path to take, even factoring in real-time data on pedestrian and car traffic as well as the weather." The device itself looks kind of like a small, futuristic hairdryer and is meant to be held aloft in front of you to guide you along as if you were holding on to your friend's elbow, or as the article says, the leash of a guide dog. While it still has plenty of kinks to work out, like vibrating at the wrong times and the motor failing, Kimu is optimistic about getting it off the ground. And seeing how accessibility options are expanding with technology is really cool and reassuring for a future with more customization and cheaper price tags. A video posted by Twitter user Christy Veers went a bit viral this weekend showing how she uses her iPhone as a visually impaired person. She shows off all of the voice control, how it reads which apps she runs her fingers across, and then how to double tap to select them, and even how to pull up a braille keyboard to type with instead of the standard keyboard. If you're curious, you can watch that video at the link in the show notes. Apple has long been ahead of the curve when it comes to accessibility. Many of my friends with disabilities swear by Apple products, even though they sometimes wish competitors would get with the program so they could have more options— and this has long been a priority at Apple. In 2014, Tim Cook responded to some shareholders' implications that the company's focus on environmental sustainability was a bad business move, and as an example of doing the right thing because it's the right thing and not because it's good or bad for business, he additionally said, quote, When we work on making our devices accessible for the blind, I don't consider the bloody ROI, end quote. As much work as is being done in some areas, a lot still remains in the fight for full accessibility and equality. And if you want to learn more about the passage of the Americans with Disabilities Act, I highly recommend the documentary Crip Camp on Netflix, which follows the young people from Camp Jeanette, a hippie-ish summer camp in upstate New York for kids with disabilities, many of whom went on to become the primary activists who worked to get the ADA passed. The film was executive produced by the Obamas and has gotten rave reviews from people with disabilities for portraying them as real, complex people, not inspirational, childlike people to be pitied. And it most likely achieved this because it was actually co-directed by sound designer and filmmaker James Lebrecht, a wheelchair user himself who attended the summer camp that the film focuses on. It's also topping a lot of lists for Oscar predictions, so seriously, it is incredible and you should watch it. Ending today with a quick update on my continuing fascination with how sports leagues are handling the lack of fans in their stands. The NBA has just announced that they will be using Microsoft's video conferencing platform Microsoft Teams to project fans into the arenas during games. Microsoft tweeted a photo mock-up of what it'll look like, essentially 17-foot-tall LED screens that will wrap around three sides of the court and feature the faces of over 300 fans, using Microsoft's recently announced Together Mode feature. Quoting Gizmodo, Together Mode uses AI segmentation technology to digitally put meeting, or in this case, game participants in a shared background. For Microsoft, this makes people feel like they're sitting in the same room as everyone else in a meeting or class. It throws the typical grid of boxes that we're used to in video chat out the window. Instead, Together Mode looks like you're looking at the entire group in a virtual mirror with a unique background. End quote. The NBA will also have ways for fans, whether they're in the video call or not, to cheer for the team using an app or a hashtag. They'll also feature fans' videos from TikTok challenges, offer an official court Snapchat lens, and have custom viewing options on the NBA app and website where you can alternate feeds of different camera angles, use enhanced graphics, and even have different influencers call the game with various focus areas like fashion, music, or analytics. And while the video call screens do look just about as off as anything that we're trying to recreate using video calls these days, the NBA seems to be doing whatever they can to make the games a fun experience for fans and keep players motivated with the, you know, lack of flesh human energy powering the arena. And that's not nothing. That is all for today. As always, this show was produced by Ride Home Media. I am Jackson Bird. I hope you have a good rest of your day and I will talk to you tomorrow. If you own a vehicle with less than 200,000 miles and have an auto warranty about to expire or no warranty coverage at all, listen up.